You can be seated. What a great morning. All kinds of people out in the gathering space, a bunch of people online. There is even actually someone sitting on the front lawn. That is serious commitment right there. Uh, I've asked a few friends to help me uh, this morning. This is Alec and this is Tommy. I've asked them to help because they're my friends uh, and because I feel like you need, you need help. Uh, they're both seniors at Hope on exam week now. Next Sunday, they'll walk off the stage, tassel to the side, off into whatever else God has in mind for them. And we've had this opportunity over the last four is it four or five? Four. Four, four years. <laughs> to have a little micro, small, little voice in shaping them into who they are and who they're still becoming. So uh, Alec is going to read for us from a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. in a sermon he preached on January 1, 1951. Christians have seen in the cross a revelation of a God who takes the initiative a God who is always beforehand with humanity, seeking them before they seek him. Jesus presents to us a seeking God whose very nature it is to go the whole way into the wilderness in the quest of humankind. We do not have to look far to find him, for he is nearby. Mm, isn't that great? We don't have to look far. He's nearby. Thanks, Alec. And Tommy's going to read for us from one of the most formidable theologians of the 20th century for sure. And one of the most significant... I asked Tommy to read because this is so theologically sophisticated. I need someone as smart as Tommy to carry the weight. This is from a book titled, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your way, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where you go. So, be your name Bobom or Bigsby or Bray or Mordecai Alivan Alan O'Shea. <laughs> You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Ooh, way to go, Tommy. Good work, man. You guys are awesome. We're all done. So minus a few minor heresies in that Dr. Seuss quote, I, I, I thought it was awesome. Oh, the places you'll go. So with King reminding us he's near, and Seuss suggesting, oh, the places you'll go, I want you to listen with me to the way one eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead tells the story. This is the fourth Sunday in the season of Eastertide. I don't know if you count time that way, but Christians some long time ago realized one Sunday for an egg hunt was clearly not enough, so we set aside two months. This is the fourth Sunday. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Suddenly, 
there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. As he told you, come, see the place where he lay. Now, go tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him. This is my message for you. So they went quickly with fear and great joy. And suddenly, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. He said, go tell my brothers, I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. There they will see me. As they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. And after the chief priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying to them, you must say his disciples came by night and stole his body while we were sleeping. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is told among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all nations, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. It's Matthew 28, if you want to find it. And maybe there's probably a few Bibles floating around or your smartphone. This is Matthew's way of telling of the most significant moment in the history of the universe. The world has just been turned upside down. Forgiveness has been unleashed. The kingdom of grace has been launched. A new script is being written rather than the cultural scripts with all their values. Now a redemption, a redemption pen writing a grace plot. This story changes everything. This is why the Apostle Paul would say in a different place, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is why the poet would taunt, death, thou shalt die. This is why theologians and preachers like me get all kinds of amped up on Sundays like this to say hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. So this Eastertide, we've been gathering with the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. But God, out of the great love with which he loved, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Stop to think about that. You're made alive with Christ. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not an example, merely, of what you might experience one day if you play your cards right, but rather an announcement now, you're made alive with him. Think about all you can endure. Think about all you can face. Think about all you can do. You're made alive with Christ by his life and death and resurrection. And now by his spirit, you're lifted up too. I mean, that's amazing. I realize this is a reformed church, but you ought to be shouting amen. (laughs) So a couple things. There's so much to notice in Matthew's, I mean, the whole gospel, but the resurrection story too. Let's just take the pressure off and pay attention to two things. Does that sound okay? Uh, First, I want you to notice the first word out of the mouth of the resurrected Christ. And then I want to pay attention to the assumption that Jesus is making in light of the resurrection. So you probably noticed the first word out of the resurrected mouth. Hi. I mean, the world has just been turned upside down. Everything is different. Now everything's possible. Everything everyone thought couldn't happen has just been ushered into the world. Death has been undone. Life has been inaugurated eternally. Think of all the things he could have said. I probably would have said, I told you. (laughs) Victory. I was right. He says... Hi. A simple word that can't contain its own meaning. Hi. Uh, pastor Anna, she's uh, the campus pastor over at the warehouse site. If you haven't checked it out, you should. It's on 6th Street. It's an awesome community of people, a part of the pillar community. Every Tuesday, Pastor Anna and I take a walk. I call it the fall tour. We've been doing this for four years. Uh, here's a Strava map. If you ever want to walk with me, this is what I do. This is what I do all day, every day. I just walk. It's incredible. So Pastor Anna and I are walking down 8th Street, and a car pulls into a parking spot several yards up ahead of us, and I can see the person in the passenger seat flailing her arms at Anna, waving wildly. But you know how, like, the windshield glare and the tint, you can't really quite see who it is? But the the, the woman in the passenger doesn't care. She just keeps doing one of these, and we're kind of like, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do here right now. So the woman, she opens the door of the car. Her purse falls out into the street. She launches herself out of the car. Anna now recognizes her. They move towards each other. They embrace, and what do they say? Hi! That little word means so much more than it sounds. Think of all the stories that Anna and her name was Darian had told one another the challenges and the pains they had faced with one another, the hopes that had settled into their hearts together. That word, it means so much more than it sounds. Hi! Conveys an entire reality. The first word out of the mouth of the resurrected Christ. Hi! It means so much more. You remember way back in the way back beginning? When God made the world... There's this refrain in Genesis 1. It keeps repeating, good, good, good. And then when God saw everything that he had made, it's very good. And then we move to Genesis 2, and God is still creating. Genesis 2, before Genesis 3, just to keep you on track, Genesis 2, God is still creating. We get the first time in the Bible God says it's not good. It's not good 
that one should be alone. Now, Genesis 3 is yet to happen. In, God has made us for connection. We long to be with. It's a part of creation. As true as the sun, the moon, and the stars, so we long for one another. We long for connection. But then Genesis 3 does happen. The fall, the world sent spiraling into chaos, and we lose track of God, and we lose track of one another. And do you know the first words out of the mouth of God after the fall? Where are you? And the first man, the first woman, their boy Cain, kills his brother Abel. Where are you? And Abram gives Sarai away. Where are you? And Joseph's brothers leave him for dead. Where are you? And the prodigal son takes his dad's stuff and runs with no plans to return. Where are you? And somewhere along the way, God's question to us, where are you, became our question to him. Where are you? So Mary shows up to Jesus when her brother Lazarus had died and says, if you had been here, in other words, where are you? And the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? Where are you? And our hearts have been aching with the world ever since. Where are you? He asks us, and now we ask him. And the question's been traveling down time and lands at the tomb where Jesus comes up alive and says, Hi, there you are. Here I am. Connection, relationship. We long for it with one another. Of course we do. But it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. Everyone, let me just, let me just, let me just help you. Everyone you know will disappoint you. <laughs> A fairly cynical view of humanity. <laughs> Everyone you know will disappoint you. Only in Christ are the deep longings of the human heart finally fulfilled. Hi. So if you show up today feeling lonely, feeling disconnected, not sure what to do in pews with pipes and carrying a sadness nobody knows about or an ache you don't want to talk about, a pattern that's been wreaking havoc. Listen here, listen today. God has fulfilled his redemption intentions in Jesus Christ and says, hi. If you think I'm making too much of that word, how about the last words in Matthew's gospel? Remember, I'll be with you always. And if you think I'm making too much of that, how about the very first words in Matthew's gospel? Name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We don't have to look far. He's nearby. Think about what you can do. <laughs> That's the first word he speaks. Now the assumption he makes. I'm assuming Jesus would make an assumption. The, the angel descends, the earth shakes, the stones rolled back, the, the women are greeted with the resurrection announcement, and just so for the record, the women are the first preachers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Finally, finally, I get an amen. So they run to go tell the disciples, and they go to meet Jesus at Galilee, at the mountain. Jesus comes to them, and it says, they worshiped him, 
and some doubted. And Jesus doesn't seem to mind. He just says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. I've been thinking about this all week. I knew Ava's kindergarten teacher was going to be here, so I wanted to get my, my notes right. I got to dot my I's and cross my T's. Why was it all authority has been given to Christ? Was it because he's God? Was it because he emptied himself? Was it because he rose up in resurrection? So I've been studying all week, and I can say with the highest level of confidence, I have no idea how Jesus earned the authority. Just that Jesus says, all authority, the locus of authority is in him, not in you. Some worshiped, others doubted. You may have found yourself in either of those places at points. Neither define who you are, but rather all authority has been given to Christ. You therefore go. Even if you don't think you're worthy, even if you think of yourself as inadequate, even if you carry a pain, a sickness, a sadness, a hurt, you therefore go. That's the assumption Jesus makes. It's not a command. I mean, grammatically speaking, it's not a command. <laughs> it's a participle. Don't you all know the English language? <laughs> Having gone is how it could be translated. He assumes you'll go, and where you go is where you will witness to the saving realities of Jesus Christ. It starts with a participle having gone, and then come the commands. Make, teach, baptize, remember. Where you are is where you will witness to the beauty of Jesus. Oh, the places you'll go, to borrow from a great theologian. I love to think about the places you'll go. There's a teacher in here who's going to walk into a classroom full of little ones who need to experience something better than the world's offering them. That's where you'll be. There's a lawyer here going to litigate some very difficult conversations this week. That's where you'll be. There's a team lead going to manage a group. That's where you'll be. There's a doctor and probably a patient who's going to walk into the heavily UV-lighted OR or ED, that's where you'll be. There's a mom here who's going to have to improvise and a dad here who feels pretty insufficient or vice versa. That's where you'll be. And Jesus assumes that's where you will witness to the beauty of his person. You're all like little Billy Grahams. Minus like the buses will wait part. Not now having to convince someone of the lordship of Jesus Christ, but rather to live the way of Christ in a hard world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what he said to his disciples? They'll know you're my disciples if you love. Let's call a spade a spade. I think that's a phrase for like being honest with each other. The church in this cultural moment is not known <laughs> for its winsome witness to the beauty of Christ. I don't think it's actually entirely true, but it is the perception. We have reduced our behaviors to cultural values and secular instincts. To borrow a sports metaphor, we're snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah. 
we're playing down to the competition. Christ died. Christ rose from the dead. You're made alive together with Christ. You don't have to go on playing by the cultural scripts. You're free to love and serve and give and be generous, be kind, shock the world with how kind you can be. Christ won. It's over. Oh, the places you'll go. He assumes where you are is where you will witness to the beauty of Jesus. I'll let you go in just a minute. Uh, But first, uh, these words from Leslie Newbegin, missionary to India for a long time. If the gospel is to challenge the public life of our society, it will only be by movements that begin with a local congregation in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life to claim it for Christ, to unmask the illusions which have remained hidden, and to expose all areas of public life to the illumination of the gospel. But that will only happen as and when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not members as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. Oh, the places you'll go. Uh, Jonathan's going to give a benediction here in just a few minutes, and he's going to say what we always say on Sunday, borrowing this quote, you're about to enter every sector of public life to claim it for Christ. Jesus assumes you will. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.